Om Namo Narayanaya. This is a recording of a talk of James Swartz on the Bhagavad Gita at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. Sadashiva Samarambam Shankara Charya Madhyamam Asmadacharya Paryantam Bande Guru Paramparam Ishwaro Guradmeti Murti Beda Vivagine Vyomavad Vyapta Dehaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Sarvavedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam Sadgurum Pranatosmiham Om So love is just consciousness directed toward objects. Whatever you pay attention to is what you love. So just monitor your attention and see that it's always going toward the self, either either in the terms of understanding that whatever your whatever thought is in your mind is is the Lord or whatever situation you're in is the Lord, whatever person you're talking to is the self, or in terms of just uh, formless contemplation. In other words, keeping your mind occupied with these teachings over and over and over again until you have a, a very, very strong satya mitya vasana. you don't recondition your mind then you're just going to continue to remain in samsara because the the only problem is how you think that's it you're already the self you're experiencing the self 24/7 24 hours a day 7 days a week 365 days a year you're experiencing yourself. If you're not satisfied, you don't feel free, uh, then it's just a question of how you're looking at the world, what, you're, what you know, what your state of mind is. So if you want, you know, if you want to feel free and be free, then you're thinking should be in harmony with uh, scripture, with the idea that I'm free. Understand? And that, that's your thinking's not going to change automatically. What? Why? You know the the vasanas are are built up over thousands, millions of thoughts. It's just like I don't know, like like um, the shell of an oyster or something builds up layer by layer by layer. It's very slow, and it's very hard. After a while, there's there's a samskara means a a big a big trench like a scar in your unconscious mind, so that the, the thoughts always flow down that same 
channel all the time. The, you know, the very first person, if there was ever a first person, and there really wasn't, but you can imagine a situation where the very first person, or like a baby, say, although a baby's not pure anyway, baby just looks like it's pure. The vasanas are already in the baby. But just imagine the very first human being and didn't have any vasanas, didn't have any sanskaras, didn't have any anything. It was just pure consciousness with a body. And it was just... <clears throat> and then he stepped out into out of his cave into the world and had an experience. And that was the first experience that he'd anybody he had ever had or anyone had ever had. Well, the next time he stepped out of the cave, he probably could have some other experience quite easily because the memory or the tendency from that previous experience wouldn't be very strong. So he could collect a bunch of vasanas, but say that he stepped here the next day he stepped out of the cave and he experienced the same thing the trace the vasana that's left over from that experience would what it would flow down the same channel in his subconscious so even though his mind is is clear like this say it's a mountain a pure mountain if there's one drop of water it falls in that mountain, then it dribbles down this side. Huh? Then the next drop of water that that falls here, it could go down any other side, but what would it do? It would tend to go down this same place the other one went, wouldn't it? Because the huh? Because that one left a little <coughs> tiny, very very microscopic little impression on the mountain. You see it, it, it ha you know, these great big river valleys that are in mountains. There, there was no river valley at one time, but little bit by little bit the water went down water. And then, then after a while, every time you think a thought, what happens? It goes right down that same channel. And the channel gets deeper and deeper, hmm? cut deeper and deeper in your mind. And, and the one thought that's, is is that you think all the time is i'm i'm small i'm inadequate i'm incomplete and how do we know that that's your thought you don't that thought is buried it's so deep that you don't even think you're thinking it you're not although Often people just feel it consciously. They feel they will tell you that these are people with low self-esteem. And how do but how do we know that you feel that way, that you think like that? Because you always you you want things, and you believe that those things will make you feel okay or complete. So you only like want things if you feel incomplete. If, if you're complete, if you're happy, do you do you want anything? When you're full and happy, 
Do you want anything? <laughs> you don't want anything. You just you just enjoy whatever is there. You're happy and you enjoy everything happily. But as soon as you feel a little bit unhappy, then you think, what can I do to make myself happy? And then you got a problem right away. So then you go and do something, you get that lost. Well, this thought, I'm small and incomplete, you, you see that in all these fears and desires. There's some natural fears and desires that are fine. You just, they're incidental. You just fulfill them. I have to eat dinner. Well, sure. Okay, fair enough. That's one vasana that's going to be there till the day you die. But that doesn't determine your whole life, unless you're very empty. Some people are very empty. That's how they fill themselves. They think they can fill themselves with food, so they get really, really big. They get obese. Can you kill yourself from eating, actually? So, how how am I gonna? How's, why is that gonna go away all of a sudden? You see these people that talk about enlightenment as a as an experience. How, how is that experience gonna erase thirty years or forty years or fifty years of of thinking you're small? You, you, I know he's long gone now, but there was this uh, guru named Osho. And he was very, very famous. There were probably hundreds, several hundred thousand people thought claimed they were his devotees. And, and certainly tens of thousands of people followed him very, very, very closely and loved him much. Even today, the, 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 the love of these people for Osho is, is big. You, you, uh, it's really, they still just fanatically committed to Osho. He was called uh, Rajneesh when he first started, but then he changed his name. And actually he died a really unhappy, miserable man and had all kinds of huge problems in his life because he felt small inside and he never got rid of that small person. He, yeah, they actually, he had he used to wear these robes, big robes, and he had the shoulders built up, so he'd look bigger. And he, he wore shoes that were, we call them elevator shoes. They made him look taller, because he was physically a small person. And, and then whenever he hit a satsang, he never sat on, on the level with everybody. They put him on a stage up above, and then he had a big chair. And then he had a huge beard, and, and he had uh, 93 Rolls Royces, and he wore Cartier wristwatch, uh, and, and collected millions and millions of dollars, and had huge amounts of devotees. Why? Why? To compensate for the feeling of smallness. He could never get enough. I mean, you got to be pretty small to want a Rolls Royce, because a Rolls Royce is a big thing. I mean, it should make you feel really big. But one Rolls Royce wasn't big enough for that person. He wanted a Rolls Royce for every day of the year. He didn't want to ride in the same Rolls Royce this, uh, two days in a row. He, before he had a fall, uh, he got up to 93 Rolls Royces. 
and and actually everybody thought they were his Rolls Royces, but they they didn't even he didn't even own them. It was very interesting. He didn't even own the Rolls Royces. Now here's a man loved by thousands and thousands of people, wealthy beyond measure, or a seemingly wealthy beyond measure, and just insatiable for more. <laughs> it, tur it turns out that all the Rolls Royces were leases, leased. And, and the way they worked it was they told somebody, they leased a Rolls Royce and then they said to a rich devotee, you see that devo this devotee loves Osho so much, he gave him a Rolls Royce. Huh? It, that's love. That's real love. And then the other person thought, whoa, so I'll, I think that's a good idea. I'll give him a Rolls Royce, too, to show my love. And, they, and then they wrote him a check or sold their house so he could buy a Rolls, get another Rolls Royce. And you know what they did? They didn't buy the Rolls Royce. They just leased another one for a few thousand dollars from a dealer. And they told him that, thank you very much, now he has two Rolls Royces. And then they kept all the rest, the other hundred or $200,000 to spend. Even cheating people. To what? To make him feel big. He's already big as you can get. He's as famous as you can get, as rich as you can get. Everywhere, he's, huh? He had to cheat the government for the taxes. He couldn't go back to India because he had to cheat the government. He wouldn't pay the taxes. The Indian government wanted several million dollars in back taxes. He wouldn't pay, so he had to run away. It's an enlightened person, but inside is this small little person. You know that Darth Vader? Did you see the Star Wars? In the Star Wars, the Darth Vader, that big black... <gasps> You know, and he's he's controlling the whole world, and when they when they take off his suit of armor, what's inside of him? He's the most scary figure you ever saw. You know, he breathes this really funny way, and he talks this real weird, strange uh, sounds come out of him. And when they take off his his suit of armor, what's inside? This little tiny white pale man, huh? Just a pathetic little man, just like a little bug living inside a cocoon, like a worm. All white and pale and weak and fearful inside. And that, you know, everybody's got that little person inside that feels small. And, and, and you think from that position. <laughs> there was a, there was a, a, beg, a, guy, a, a beggar in India. He was a temple beggar. Yeah, you know, they hang outside the temple in India because it's the dharma of people that go to worship. It's their dharma to give uh, to beggars after you've had your, done your puja. So when you come out of the temple, the beggars are there, and then you you give a few rupees to the to the beggars. Well, this beggar bought a lottery ticket. Hmm? He bought a lottery ticket, and he won the lottery. He got crores and crores, millions of rupees. And he started dressing nice. He bought a beautiful house. He married a really 
beautiful young girl. Huh? And he, he was really, everybody respected him. And oh, he's wonderful now. You know, before he's a beggar, but now he's got money. He's very wonderful. And everybody loves him and all this sort of thing. And one day he, he went, was go, went to the temple and uh, there was a, a, a wedding party. And the wedding people, they were particularly happy and they'd gone in to, to have the wedding and make a puja. So they made a puja for, to the deity there. They got married, they were married, made a puja. And, and he, he was there and he was all dressed up really nicely and everything because, you know, he just liked to go to the temple and so forth. And when they came out, the bride and the groom and the wedding party, they started distributing uh, rupees to the other beggars. And this man ran over right away like this with his hand out and asked, huh? <laughs> he totally forgot that he was a rich man. He thought he was a beggar still. <laughs> he, had, he had everything, beautiful suit, everything, already everything nice. Soon as in that situation, boom, out came that beggar, out came that 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 little person. Please help me. So so that's that 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 kind of thinking is not gonna go away overnight. It's not just gonna disappear. There's no magic here. Now, these spiritual people, you know. They, got, they, they, they love magical thinking. They think, they think this, there's all kinds of angels flying around and things are just going to happen or something just by magic. Oh, they love to believe in all these fantastic things. And I guess they think that they, they're going to have some kind of incredible experience and then be happy for the rest of their lives. But even if you see God, you know, face to face for like, I did. I I had a I had a darshan that like I saw God like I see you, unbelievable. Boom! Just knocked me silly. But within what? Within a few days, I was like, ah, you know, chasing money and doing all this other stuff. <laughs> well, it, did, it didn't remove my vasanas. I'm still drinking alcohol and carrying on and all that. So. You know, you your life is what you think you are. Whatever you think you are is what your life is. <laughs> and if you think you're not free, then your life's not going to be free. So the, the whole point here is what? Is that I need to change the way I think. Based upon what? On, on what the scripture says. Scripture tells you how to think and how to to get rid of this idea that you're small. And and how do you do that? Well, you develop a satya mityavasana. You learn to discriminate yourself from the objects that present themselves to you on a moment-to-moment basis. You, should, you have to learn how to not confuse yourself with what? Your fears and your desires, with your attachments and so forth and so on. So we've pointed out 
so far. We pointed out what the self is. We discussed the nature of the self. And we discussed the nature of objects. Those are the only two only two things. It's, it's not that hard in the sense that there's only two things you have to know. <laughs> what, a, the, the, huh? what the self is and what the objects are. What, and what the relationship between the self and the, and the objects is. That's all you really need to know to do your work. The objects are different for everybody, and the objects change as far as you're concerned all the time, but you never change. You're always the same. And you're the one that knows, and the object is the is what's known. The knower and the known. Remember, we had that chapter, the knower and the known. The subject and the object. And the, and the, what and what? The object depends upon the subject, but the subject doesn't depend upon the object, therefore I'm free. I'm whole, complete, go for it. So that's all you need to know, really. It's pretty simple. But the hard part is, it isn't, it isn't easy. The hard part is, well, I just got to do the work all the time until my sh the, I shift my thinking from this point to this point. That's all. I'm just shifting my thinking. Moving the eye from the body and the mind to what? To the consciousness. And that just takes the work. So this is going to describe now, uh, verse 13, describes uh, a person whose thinking has shifted. When, when he says, who sees, no, or whatever it is, the word sees means knows. And it's going to describe this person, what it's like, how they, those people are that have made this shift from the jiva to the self. The, the one who has no hatred for others. Well, that's a funny statement, isn't it? Uh, you should say, the one who sees no others. <laughs> well, what it means is, what it means is that you have he has no hatred for other people. Why? Because he knows there isn't any other people. <laughs> it's just a, a language issue here. Remember? It, are, are, are the glasses me or are they not me? Are the glasses me or are they not me? They're me. What? No, they're me. We already ran through the logic six or eight, ten times so far this in the last week. Huh? Showing you how the how it turn how these glasses are you. We made it clear over and over and over again. You know, by analyzing the location of objects, we discover that all objects what? exist as thoughts in my mind and all thoughts in my mind exist in me, consciousness. And therefore the object uh, exists in me, consciousness. And, and that object is what? Is just the thought of the object and that thought, every thought is manufactured out of consciousness. Like that gentleman said earlier, every wave is manufactured out of the ocean. You're the ocean, you're the consciousness, and so every thought Every pair of glasses or body or every object is what? 
is just me. So, glasses are me. Simple. That, the glasses are going to stay right here. The glasses are not going to go in here and just merge into my body and disappear. <laughs> There's going to be no change perceptually. Don't, don't expect any change to happen perceptually. Huh? The glasses are going to stay right there, but what? I'm going to know that they're me. So that means what? I don't have a problem with them because why? And we explained why you don't have a problem if you need to, if you need to work it out because I love myself more than anything. And we know I know that why because everything I do is for me. The self is the object of the greatest love. We know that because everything I do is for myself. So it means I love myself more than anything. And all the objects that I love, I love for my own sake, not for the sake of the object. I love for the soul. Huh? So the object's me. So that's why this person has no hatred for, for other people. Because he knows they're not really other people. And if the other person, other person, quote-unquote, huh, uh, has has negative qualities. What does he know about that person's negative qualities? They don't belong to the person, do they? They belong to Ishwara. Because that person didn't, huh? Remember, we just we discussed that already. The, those negative tendencies that causes me to hate you, I understand what? That they that you didn't you didn't grab those negative tendencies. You didn't sit down and say, "Oh, I think I'll be a mean, nasty person." Huh? You just what became a mean, nasty person? What from within? Because Ishwar gave you those bad vasanas. So I have so much compassion for you because I know it's not your fault, and so I love you as myself, and I appreciate. I appreciate how you must be suffering uh, because you identify with those negative tendencies. And I, and I feel so much love for you. I can't hate you. I can only feel love for you and feel sorry for you and give you some sort of, some help. This is the thinking. You can't, you can't, you can't blame anybody. Because nobody sat down and, and just thought, think and thought when they were young, when you were a child, did you did you sit down and think, oh, I think I'll be a mean and nasty person? When I was young, I was quite uh, cruel. I was really quite nasty. Not not all the time, but I had a, what they call a mean streak. I was mean. I was nasty. I did really cruel things. Tortured animals and beat up kids, boys, and various things. Stole things. I lied. I did all those things. Well, I did. I really did. I mean, I was, you know, now I look like a nice, chubby, old, enlightened person, all lovable. Everybody loves me. But hey, that, that's, not, that's not how I came into this life, believe me. I, in fact, 
I've had so much compassion for my parents. I feel so sorry for them. I, I thought they were, my, I had the most lovely parents. Really, they were really, really super good parents. And I was such a devil. I caused them so much trouble. My God, I got thrown in jail. I got kicked out of school, like high school. I got kicked out of college. I, oh my God. I, I, over and over and over again, I got in trouble. Oh. But I didn't decide to get in trouble. Huh. I, I, there was something in me huh, that I had no control over that would just take over in certain situations and force me to do things. I wasn't thinking, I'll do them. I didn't sit there consciously and think, oh, I'll do this or do that. The thought just came, the impulse just came, and I just did it. And my parents, they didn't blame me because they, they understood that, that I wasn't doing it. I wasn't, really, I wasn't always like that. I was really quite a nice kid on the other side, too. I had a lot of friends and people like me, but I had this bad, bad tendency inside myself that was playing out. So, so these self-realized people understand the vasanas and understand Ishwara. You, you can't get free unless you understand Ishwara. That's why we've got, huh? That's why we have these six chapters on Ishwara. In fact, the whole text is nothing about Ishwara. Huh? This is to, so that you can See that Ishwara or ignorance of yourself, uh, Maya, has brought about all of these problems. I'm not personally responsible for them. Yes, I have to take responsibility for them when I discover, uh, when I become mature, when I become grown up. Then I need to work on them. But I can't, shouldn't work on them feeling guilty because I didn't put them there. I didn't. I'm not the one that created those. So. I don't have to feel guilty when I do my work. Understand? I just patiently do my work because I've got, I do my karma yoga, I do my meditation, I do my inquiry, patiently. And those tendencies go away. And then gradually that tendency to, uh, that everything is, is me, but I'm not anything, that, that the knowledge becomes a hard and fast tendency and pretty soon I start to see everything in this way. And then what? Then, the, then my life becomes easy and fun. So, and and he's, he's, what is he? He says he does, there's no hatred, and is compassionate. I just discussed compassion. And accommodating, like Krishnamurti. Krishnamurti's in mind, he accommodated. He gave me his, he gave me that, see that? This gentleman, he's, very, he's, a, he's a Vedanta fanatic. <laughs> he writes it down, he keeps his notes, and, and, and I want his, his text, and he gives me his text. That's nice, huh? He's accommodating, that's accommodation. Huh? He could have just said, oh, I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't know where mine is. <laughs> 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 no, he just said, oh, Ramji doesn't have a text, I'll give him my text. Comedy, free of pride. Why? Why are these people free of pride? Why? Because everything belongs to Ishwara. Chapter ten. Huh? Remember chapter ten? 
direction, huh? Ishwara says what? Huh? Don't think any of this stuff belongs to you. Every bit of it belongs to me. He he makes a great long list and then he said, This is just a short list. <laughs> what he meant was that every single thing belongs to Ishwara, nothing belongs to me. Huh? And therefore, how can I be proud? How how can I be proud? Every single thing I have is given to me by Ishwara. So I can't take I can't say I own these things or I author these things or these are me, these are mine. They're all given to me. My mind, my body, all of my qualities, good and bad, they're all given by Ishwara. So hey. So I'm not proud. And and that for the same reason what? I'm not possessive. It, it, uh, everything belong. If every it's it's this way. Either everything belongs to you because uh, everything depends upon awareness, or what? Or it all belongs to Ishwar. Either way, if you look at it from the jiva's point of view, the jiva can say, "Hey, how can I be possessive of this? How can I say this is mine? It all belongs to Ishwar." Or if I look at it from the self's point of view, I can say, "I've got everything already." Everything's me. So how can I be possessive about something that I already have? There's nothing I don't have. See the thinking? <laughs> we, we travel around the world, and, and my wife and I are teaching Vedanta. And, uh, people ask, gee, gee, where do you get the money? And, 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 uh, and you know what my wife says? We have God's trust fund. Yeah, when you put the money in there, that's that's our trust fund. I don't know if you, you're going to give me money. Maybe maybe you'll give me money. Maybe you won't. I don't know. I said, just come listen. Huh? I, have, I just trust. If you don't give me, I'll just, that's okay. It's fine. If you give me, that's great. Thank you very much. But I don't know. I'm depending upon you. People get have gotten angry at me. They said, wow, this is brilliant. This is incredible. This is yours. One guy said, why don't you put your sign your name on the chart? He said, you should copyright that chart, you know. Huh? And why do you give away all that information on the website free? Why do you do that? Huh? It means that's yours. You should... But you should claim that for years and you should make money. You shouldn't just give that all free. Well, nothing belongs to me. When you actually think about it, what actually do I own? So, see the thinking? And the I notion. And they're free of what? Free of uh, the I notion. That and in every circumstance, what is it? They have the same attitude. That means it says conducive, conducive and unconducive. That means in, in conducive circumstances are circumstances that line up with your likes and your dislikes, and unconducive circumstances are situations that what that are, go against your likes and your dislikes. Like now, I'm going, to, I'm going to have to accommodate 
to the yoga crowd because they're all come spilling in here. There's going to be 400 of these manic yogis running around, huh? going like crazy, like hell. Huh? All cheerful and uh, with all their little yoga mats and everything and talking and happy. Oh my God, a whole yoga weekend. Let's go, let's go. You know, last week it was kids. They had their kids. That was even worse. <laughs> the adults were bad enough, but the kids were, huh? The kids were like crazy. In that dining room, you couldn't hear yourself think. It was so loud. <laughs> Now, what am I supposed to do? Get all grumpy and mean and ask me, oh, I don't know why we're all come back to this place again, all these stupid drudgeosic yogis. No, I okay, that's cool. I enjoyed watching the kids and, and uh, you know, you just adjust. There's no bad circumstances. <laughs> There's no good circumstances. It's all just what? Just Ishwara making this play all the time. Sometimes it's a beautiful, some the way you want it. Sometimes it's the way you don't want it. What can you do? So you just relax. You you take it in stride, and you enjoy yourself. Uh, oh, and uh, who's satisfied with what he or she is and has? Somebody asked me the other day, uh, "What do you want?" That's a funny guy. I said, I want what I have. He looked at me, what? If you want what you have, then what does that mean? Then you means you're happy, right? Because that person thought, I couldn't be happy with what I have, I must have a want for something else. So I said, no, I want what I have. So, huh? So that means what? I don't want anything. Because whatever I have is satisfactory. That's the idea. See the thinking. See how these jnanis think. Nice. And his mind is controlled. Mind is controlled means what? The mind will stay still if what? If you have this discrimination. The mind will remain under your control if you what? If you have this discrimination. Uh, you know that picture of a Ganesh, that statue of Ganesh? Everybody's seen the, the Ganesh deity, haven't you? It's this, this, this chubby person, boy, this fat little boy with an elephant head sitting on a rat. Isn't that funny? Huh? That's very funny. You notice there's always a rat at the bottom of Ganesh? You didn't notice? No? Oh yeah, there's always a rat at the bottom. Either it's under his feet, or sometimes he's sitting on it. Sometimes it's a big rat, but he's sitting on the rat. It's a fat little boy, and then he has the head of an elephant. And he's sitting on a rat. Now, that's a jnani. That's an enlightened person. It's a symbol of an enlightened person. What does it mean? What's a rat? What, what, what kind of a symbol? What, what guna do you think the rats symbolize? Rajaguna. Rajas. 
Rajas is, is called the mode of passion. Rajasic people are passionate people. They always want something. They, they're never satisfied. They're always busy. That's why they're always busy. Because they're never satisfied. They just have to be doing something all the time. Now, now Ganesh, so, so rats, and rodents, rats, particularly, they're always chewing. You know why they have to gnaw? All the time. They're always eating something. Say beavers are like that. Beavers, a beaver is a rodent. Beavers just chew wood all the time. I lived in Montana on a big on a big river in the mountains, and we had trees, cottonwood trees that were that big around. And the beavers would chew down those trees. I'm not kidding. And they chew them. They would, huh? They take their time. They didn't care because they had to keep chewing. They wouldn't even eat the whole tree. They they just only eat the little tender bark at the very tips of the tree. They destroy a, a, a tree that was 200 years old to eat like 3% of the tree. But they take, what, two weeks or three weeks or a month to chew down the tree. Why? Because their teeth were always growing and if they didn't chew them and grind them off, the teeth would go up into their brain and kill them. The bottom teeth would go right up in here and it would kill them or open their mouth so they couldn't chew anymore. So what is that a symbol of? Desire. Desire. So rodents are symbols of desire. Desire means what? Emptiness, incompleteness, dissatisfaction. That's what it means. So they're perfect symbols of ignorance. They're always hungry. They're always eating. Now, was, why, why is Ganesh sitting on top of this rodent? Because he's mastered his mind. He's controlled his desires. Now, in a normal samsari, huh, there's a great big rat sitting on them. <laughs> huh? Isn't it? In, in a normal samsari, he's got a big rat telling him what to do. Huh? Pushing him around, saying, go here, go here, do this, do that. But Ganesh is what? That desire is Ganesh's vehicle. That's what takes him various places, and he tells it what to do. He's the master of his desires. That's the meaning of that symbol. It's a beautiful, beautiful symbol. This is what, you know, enlightened people, that's how they are. They, they're in, they, it doesn't mean you don't have desires. Your desires are non-binding. An enlightened person is somebody who has desires, but the desires don't bind them. They're non-binding. Moksha is just eliminating your binding desires. To making what? Turning your binding desires into preferences. You can do it, or you can not do it. Patanjali talks about it. Patanjali's in the Yoga Sutras, if you've read the Yoga Sutras. So there's two kinds, binding and non-binding vasanas. 
So this person has what? His mind is controlled by this knowledge. <laughs> Just knowing who you are, knowing that you're full and complete means what? I don't need that. I don't need it. Why? Why, why do I need this? Because what? Because I'm complete. I'm full. If I get this object, will, will that make me any more full? Can you make the ocean more full? No. <laughs> it's already full. So, it's the thinking again. And whose intellect constantly inquires into me, that means what? Always what? Thinking about, this, about the self. You're going to be thinking about something. The day you stop thinking about something is the day you die. Okay? That's when your karma stream runs out. When your karma stream runs out, that's when you stop thinking. Otherwise, uh, as long as you're here, you have a, a, a steady flow of thoughts huh, from the day you wake up to the day you die. Your thoughts are produced by your karma stream. And those thoughts for this person, where do they go? They all go to the self. In the form of what? Either the objects and or what? And or the subject. Either way. Because it doesn't matter. They know that whatever they're thinking about, they're thinking about themselves. So when you think about a tree, you know that tree is yourself. When you think about going to the job, you know the job is yourself. When you think about your boss at work, you know that's the self. And whose intellect is constantly acquires into me is my beloved, he says. Means what? That means you love yourself. <laughs> it doesn't, huh? doesn't mean there's two things. He's talking to Arjuna, so he has to put it like in this way, in this dualistic way. But that means you love yourself when what? When you think like this, when you understand this, this, uh, this knowledge, and when you think like this, then you love yourself. And yourself loves you if there's another self. <laughs> So if there's a jiva, if you have a jiva, that jiva loves you, and what? And you love your jiva, if you want to look at it in terms of duality. Which means what? doesn't mean anything. It means there's just love. There's love from whatever point of view you look at it. <coughs> self loves the jiva, and the jiva loves the self. The love's the same love. That's what non-dual means. There's no difference between my love for my jiva and my jiva's love for me. It's the same love. Okay, here's here's some more, here's some more uh, description of uh, enlightened person. The one because of whom people do not get disturbed. Huh? You know, there's some people when you get around them, huh? You feel uncomfortable. Have you ever been around those kind of people? Maybe not, because you guys are all nice, sattvic, spiritual people. But <laughs> huh? You immediately feel uncomfortable around that person? Huh? You ever? Yeah? You might not even know what it is, but, but you don't like them. You feel itchy and you want to get out, even though you, you, they may be nice enough, but you don't know. Huh? 
They're putting out some kind of energy. Huh? Some kind of dissatisfaction is there in them. And, and, and when, I, it, I get it quite often because I'm quite peaceful and, and a number of spiritual people are very dissatisfied and very needy. And so they come and they get really close to me. And you can, huh? And I can feel it. I like, I get, <laughs> you know, I'm very polite and I don't show it, of course, but you can feel their dissatisfaction. Well, these, huh? These people, they don't disturb anybody because they're not dissatisfied. In, in fact, quite the opposite. They're peaceful, they're happy, and so you gravitate toward them. You don't know why you like them. You don't even know them. But you're attracted to them in some some way. You don't even understand why. And the reason is, huh? Because they're happy. They're satisfied. They're not sucking your energy. They're they're putting out a kind of energy, a kind of love, a kind of feeling, a kind of power that what is attractive. And you you get attracted to them. You don't have to do anything at all. You just find yourself, oh, that's an interesting person. You want to talk to them. Yeah, what are you, where are you from? Okay. So it says here, huh? the one be, because of whom people do not get disturbed, and this person, what, does not get disturbed huh, by people. Why? Because he knows they can't help it. I don't get disturbed, but my mind gets disturbed around needy people. That's one of my dislikes. I don't like dogs either. Huh? I, I like cats. Cats aren't needy. So, but dogs... <laughs> and there they are, always hanging around, wanting you to love them, you know. And you say, Jesus, go away, man. Get a life, you know. <laughs> Some people like that, don't they? They like being wanted if you if you're kind of small inside if you don't if you if you're kind of lonely inside it makes you feel good when something wants you, when something wants you yeah, it's good if a person wants you but if you can't get a person to want you at least a dog will love you <laughs> isn't that yeah i i'm sorry i'm so cynical but <laughs> but it's true huh? that that huh? And who is unaffected by elation. <laughs> this, uh, this, uh, the book, that, my, my latest book, uh, uh, Essence of Enlightenment, has uh, been accepted by uh, the Camphausen Publishing Company, whatever it is. And I should be really happy, but now what? Now I've got to leave here early on. I've got to you know, leave on... Sunday morning to get the 11.38 train to get to Berlin because I can only talk to the publisher at 2 in the afternoon or 3 in the afternoon because that's the only time he's available. So I was real happy that they're going to publish the damn book, but now what do I have to do? I have to, like, bust my poor butt and get over there in time to uh, get him because he's the only time he's got is that. So should I get ha excited because I got that because the book is published? No. Should I get depressed because I have to go, you know, I just want to leisurely have got, what did I want to leisurely do? Take my time, have lunch with you guys, 
right? Drive with Thomas over to this one place. Get the get the you know hang out in the cat the hang out in the train station, have my cappuccino, eat a little croissant, and, and then get the ICE for Berlin and have my friend pick me up and have a nice leisurely day. Now I've got a business thing in the middle of Sunday afternoon. Well, it's just Ishwar, what can I do? So, will I, should I get depressed? Should I get upset that it has to be this way? Should I get too excited that they're going to publish this book in German? Should I, huh? Well, what's, what am I supposed to do about it? Uh, just take it with a grain of salt. It is what it is. That's it. Ishwar tells me this is your job, so I just do it. That's all. They don't go up and they don't go down. It's all the same. That's called, they're called Samadarshis. Sama means equal, Darshis means seers. They see everything equally, all circumstances. It's all the same. Intolerance. I don't like dogs, but I'm not intolerant of dogs. So if a dog comes for a pet and comes up, I'll give him a little pet, <laughs> rub his little butt, and make him feel good. <laughs> so I'm not, I won't get, get out of here, kick the dog. <coughs> no, okay, you want some not intolerant. Fear, what's the fear? If you're complete, if you're whole and complete, can you lose anything? Huh? If you're complete, what can you lose? This is why these people have no fear, because they know they can't lose anything. Everything belongs to me in the first place. I'm complete, so I can't lose myself. I can't, huh? And I own the whole thing. It's all me, because without me, there's no universe, is there? Unless I shine on this world, there's no world. So the whole world depends. How can I lose it? So what? So I'm not worried. Why, why should I worry? It's the idea. Anxiety, the same. What? Why, why don't they have anxiety? Because they don't care about the fruits of their action. Samsaris, uh, doers, the doers are doing for what? Aham karta, I'm a doer, a karta, what? To become a bhokta, to become an enjoyer. I do to enjoy. Now when I do, I don't, I'm not doing just for the hell of it. I'm not doing just to do, I'm doing because I want result. So I'm always anxious when I do. Am I? Should I invest all this money in this business when I'm not sure about the result? I take my life savings and I invest in a startup business. I take 100000 it's all the money I've got, I invest in a startup business. Now why do I do that? Just because I like to invest? No, that's not why I do it. I do it because I expect, what? To make money. I expect to at least get my money back and hopefully to make some profit. So what? So samsaris are always anxious because they're always doing. <laughs> but I know what? I'm not a doer. 
Right? Can, if I'm the self, can I do? Am I do? Am I a doer? <laughs> the self is not a doer, is it? So the self doesn't have any anxiety. That's why there's no anxiety here. Okay, take a break. And... Thank you for listening to the talk of James Wards on the Bhagavad Gita, recorded at Yogavitya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. More information on shiningworld.com and yoga-vidya.org.